0: Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's episode on Wednesday, June 28th. 2023 and earlier today you got to view uh episode two of secret invasion right
1: absolutely yep that was one of the very first things on the agenda
0: this morning Okay, we will discuss that at length, folks. But first, you wanted to share some news in regard to Fallout Boy, right? Yeah, I was just scrolling
1: through Twitter and, and Fallout Boy was trending. So I wondered what's up with that. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of weird for a band to trend out of, out of the blue sometimes. So it turns out they did a cover of Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire. Mm-hmm. And I'm a fan of that song to begin with. So, you know, Fallout Out Boy covers that. Well, I got to hear what they do. And the thing is, they've updated all the lyrics. Like since Billy Joel has done the original, a lot of news events have happened throughout time mm-hmm. uh, up until today. So they've updated all of the tragedy lyrics of mm-hmm. We Didn't Start the Fire. However, we got a Marvel drop in it. And I was like, oh, my goodness. So uh, we're going to take a quick listen. It goes fast, but it comes towards the very end. Here we go. Okay. Nuclear Fukushima Japan. Okay. 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 That's great. I was just thrilled that we got a, a little name drop for Robert Downey Jr. and Iron Man kicking off the MCU. That's that's noteworthy. I think that's a, a bullet point worth adding.
0: Oh, no, no, definitely. But I, I got to check this out because I mean, I was a fan. I mean, I've, I've been a Billy Joe fan forever. But when the original We Didn't Start the Fire dropped back in 89 for, for somebody covering the Walt Disney Company, the Disneyland reference in there was fun. So yeah, going to be interested to see w- how they updated this. And more to the point, I-, I would love to have heard the conversation with Mr. Joel about, hi, we- we'd like to do this and how they sorted that out. You know, so. I think
1: some musicians, and I think Billy Joel as well, are, are mm-hmm. get, they get flattered. You know, that you always mm-hmm. have this self-doubt. You know, why are all these people at this concert here to see me for? It? I heard them say stuff like that about Mm -hmm. his big shows, and when someone says, hey, I I love your music, I'd love to cover your song, you're like, really? Mm -hmm. Little old me, Billy Joel? Mm -hmm. You know, and and they're like, yes, really, you know, the millions of people adore you, face it, man. Mm -hmm. And uh, they they just kind of get sucked into the whole, wow, yeah, I would love to hear another person do a, a riff on my work. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure it went very smoothly. Or, or there was a lot of cash involved, in which case it went very
0: smoothly. <laughs> okay. Now, speaking of a million, it would be nice to report that last week's premiere of Secret Invasion got viewed by a million households in the U.S. That didn't happen. In fact, uh came close. It was n- 994,000 households in the U.S. viewed the first episode of Secret Invasion in the first five days of it being available on Disney+. To put that in perspective, Aaron, when Loki premiered on Disney+, Plus back in June of 2021... That premiere episode was viewed 2.5 million times during its first five days uh, that it was available in streaming service. Jump to Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which a uh, very first limited series. That was March of 2019. Likewise, Moon Knight, which they beat on Disney Plus back in March of 2022. Both of those, the premiere episodes, got, were viewed 1.5 million households in the U.S. within the first five days. WandaVision gets viewed 1.6 million times. Hawkeye and She-Hulk get viewed 1.5 million. Only Ms. Marvel did less well on its premiere on Disney+. Plus. It only had 775,000 you know, households tuning in for its premiere. And not entirely sure what's going on here. If you remember back in the day, Ms. Marvel, they sort of attributed its rough start to... You know, there's that subset of fans that, you know, well, it's a female superhero and I'm not going to watch it. And I guess for me, given that people have loved uh, Samuel L. Jackson's Nick Fury since we were just talking about the... Or like the initial Robert Downey uh, Iron Man back in 2008. I'm just kind of startled that it's 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 off to a, a somewhat slow start there. And one question uh, I
1: I remember early on when you know they were launching WandaVision, mm-hmm. there seemed to be a whole lot of advertising for that because that was also the launch time of Disney Plus as well. Mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. the early days so they had a, a large advertising push during that time mm-hmm. i have not watched a lot of terrestrial television in a in a long time so i could be missing the ads but mm-hmm. do you know are they even advertising the fact that secret invasion came out because you know i do a show with you about this stuff and i didn't even know it was happening until you're like oh by the way we're gonna mm-hmm. do uh, mud on a wednesday because secret invasion comes out on wednesday and i was like oh really (laughs) because i just it it was so far off my radar i'm still thinking it was like in august for some reason and it's like right here in front of us so yeah are they are they letting anybody know are they hiding the light under a bushel to
0: say yes i know i have seen some ads that push you know virtually everything that Uh, Disney Plus is showing this summer okay, and Nick Fury is prominently featured in those ads. But yeah, I I don't know what to tell you there. Um, I mean, it's one
1: thing to say, hey, coming up this summer, we've got Secret Wars and we've got Ahsoka and we've got X, Y and Z. But mm -hmm. do they actually have a date stamped under those images? Are they just saying, hey, coming up in the future? Mm. And uh, I think uh, one thing from my radio days was very, very mm -hmm. important was appointment setting. Where Mm -hmm. I would be doing my afternoon show, and I would say, hey, listen to the morning show at 7.15 for your chance to win $10,000 with the birthday game. Mm -hmm. And people would then tune in at 7.15 the next morning to win that money or try to. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. And that's important, and it's called appointment setting. And I just don't think Disney's doing enough appointment setting of, hey, mark this on your calendar. We've got something special for you that day
0: to bury the needle in the complete opposite direction instead of something that appears to be underperforming. Uh, if we pivot now to Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, that's been out in theaters for only 26 days at this point and shows absolutely no sign of fading. In fact, this past weekend, uh, that Sony Pictures Animation production was was number one at the box office again. It sold $19 million worth of tickets and actually bested Pixar's uh, Elemental at at the box office. And just to sort of put this in perspective, folks, current box office totals for Across the Spider-Verse, 319 million domestic, 243 overseas. That's a worldwide box office total of 563 million. And Remember, the original uh, animated Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse was out in theaters in late 2018, early 2019, over its entire box office run. 190 million in North America, 194 overseas, worldwide eventual box office total of 384 million. So Across the Spider-Verse has already done 146% of the business that Into the Spider-Verse did, again, back in 2018, 2019, over its entire box office run. And again, they've gotten to that number in only 26 days, uh, which is extraordinary. Uh, By the way, we'll have uh, more across the Spider-Verse news in a sec, but first want to remind you that Marvelous Disney is brought to you by Storybook Destination, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience every time, please book online at storybookdestination.com. Back to Across the Spider-Verse now, because not all of this week's news associated with that Sony Pictures Animation production has been positive. Did you see the story in Vulture? The one where uh, Amy
1: Pascal was uh, telling him to suck it up? You <laughs> <Get a laughs> bunch of little
0: crybabies? Do your job. <laughs> okay, not in so many words, but all right. right. Let's, let's, but, 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 uh, technically, you're not wrong. Okay. Uh, what we're talking about here, folks, is story posted on Vulture shined a not-so-flattering spotlight on the working conditions that the artists and animators who created into the Spider Verse uh, sequel uh, had to deal with, and and again, I have friends who work in animation. Even by what people normally deal with when working on animated feature, this sounded kind of brutal. The allegations in the Vulture article are eleven-hour days, seven days a week for a solid year, and all of this was supposedly because of the f- this film's producer, Phil Lord. He allegedly wasted three to six months of production time because he couldn't decide what, you know, Across the Spider-Verse should look like. And we're pulling the quotes from the, this Vulture piece, which shares quotes from a Across the Spider-Verse production member who calls himself Steven. And Steven goes on to say that over a 100 people left this production because they couldn't take it anymore, but a lot stayed so they could make sure that their work survived until the end, because if it gets changed, it's no longer yours. And I know people who were on the project for over a year who left and now they have little to show for it because everything was changed. Uh, They went through the hell of the production and then got none of their work coming out the other side. Now, What's especially concerning about this vulture story is remember how Across the Spider-Verse was originally supposed to come out in theaters in April of 2022, but then got its uh, release date pushed back twice, eventually arriving on June 2nd, 2023. The official explanation, Aaron, is that Across the Spider-Verse's delayed release date was due to pandemic-related production problems. But according to at least four members of the production team of this Into the Spider-Verse sequel who who spoke to Vulture, the real reason that Across the Spider-Verse missed those two earlier release dates was because Phil Lord reportedly kept changing his plans for this movie. Now, this gets especially concerning when this article in Vulture then pivots to talking about beyond the Spider-Verse, the third installment of this animated Spider-Man trilogy, which is supposed to arrive in theaters next year on March 29, 2024. Quoting from Steven here, and again, that's that production team who, you know, one of the main sources of the piece in Vulture. And Steven says, there's no way that movie's coming out then. There's been progress on the pre-production side of things, but as for how the production side goes... The only progress that's been made in the third film is, is exploration of the tests that were done prior to this movie being split into two parts. So Lord's creative process in this vulture article is likened to a guy who is trying to get a bunch of construction workers to make a building without a blueprint. Now, to to get what to what Aaron brought up. After the story ran in vulture, Amy Pascal, who is the producer of Into the Spider-Verse and Across the Spider-Verse and a longtime Sony Pictures executive, she came to Phil Lord's defense, saying, "One of the things about animation that makes it such a wonderful thing to work on is you you get to keep going until the story is right. And if the story is isn't right, you have to keep going until it is." And As part of this statement, Pascal did admit that major changes had been made to across the Spider-Verse's narrative and visuals over the course of production. But as for those hundred artists and animators who ultimately chose to walk away from this Enter the Spider-Verse sequel, rather than continue to deal with those 11-hour days, seven days a week for over the course of a full year, Amy, as as Aaron suggested, didn't sound very sympathetic. Here's... What she, she said in response to that claim in the vulture story is like, Welcome to making a movie? I guess uh, trifle harsh, don't you think, mister Adams? Or To an extent. There's Mm -hmm. the, you know, I
1: think she had said, well, you know, we made changes late in Spider-Man movies and nobody, you know, everyone sucked it up then and and did their job Mm -hmm. or whatever. It's not a direct quote, but the general idea. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, but that's just put three dudes in a suit, get a camera guy, film for five minutes, everybody goes home. Not Mm -hmm. reanimate by hand, Mm -hmm. you know, seven minutes of footage. That's Mm -hmm. completely different. And, Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's a fair equation. So in that aspect, uh, you know, I would, I would come to the artist's defense and tell Amy, "Boo, boo to mm-hmm. you for that." Uh, and then when it comes to, like, Phil Lord couldn't make up his mind on on the look or whatever, and I get that because he wants mm-hmm. to have a different. Vibe for every universe that they encounter. Mm -hmm. And now that they're getting into the third one, it's like, well, look, man, you've already had Miles' world established from the first movie. You've Mm -hmm. now got Gwen's universe established. Mm -hmm. You've got, you know, an idea of what spider punk is all about. You've got all these other characters, you know, the Indian Spider Man. We've established looks for a lot of things. So. That hard work should be over. I, I get you're gonna go to new places, right? So fine, we'll we'll have a couple new looks. But if you revisit places, that that should all be done now. So I think that process should be a bit better for the third one. And as long as the writing's done, the script doesn't change dramatically, mm. you know. But then again, you said that uh, Haley was it Steinfeld. She had said that they were you know doing voice work up to like you know a few weeks before it was actually released. and it's like, well, how the hell do the animators deal with that? How like seriously, how do you how do you correct the, you know whatever is done? Or are you just trying to lip sync to old animated footage that's already been done?
0: I do not know what to tell you here. And again, Mm -hmm. I want to be supportive. I mean, based on what just happened this past weekend at the North American box sets, people seem to love the final product here, which seems to have been the result of a clearly chaotic creative process. Yeah. So does that does that actually validate everybody like Phil Lord
1: and Amy Pascal? Like, hey, look, we're coming out on top. We made a number one movie. Everybody loves it. Doesn't that say
0: we're in the right to push a little bit harder for that victory? I don't know what to tell you here. I mean, what's interesting to me is I can't help but think back to the summer of 2017, where, remember, we were four months into production of Solo, A Star Wars Story, which was being co-directed by Phil Lord and Chris Miller. And four months in, Kathleen Kennedy steps in and removes those two as the director of Solo, and then brings in Ron Howard to finish the film. And Again, there's been all sorts of reporting about what reportedly went on behind the scenes on that film. And what's interesting is there was a lot of talk about how they had the script that Lawrence and John Kasdan had written for the film. But uh, Lord and Miller were departing from the script and shooting a lot of alternative takes and that sort of thing, trying to settle on a tone for the film and ultimately Kathleen had to step in kind of as the grown-up and like, no, 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 <laughs> You know, we, we have to shoot what's on the page and thank you guys, we're going to go with somebody else. So
1: I don't know, I'm in favor of, of that style. I mean, you know, Marvel does that all the time. They mm-hmm. they do something and they go, that's not quite right. You know, the mm-hmm. whole Robert Downey Jr. Stark thing at the very end of uh, Endgame, you know, mm-hmm. where, they, where they call them back for that and I am Iron Man line. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, there there are times where you think on the page, oh, we got it. Oh, this is brilliant. And then you look at the footage and you go, "Mm, could be stronger. Not quite sure how mull it over a little bit. Ah, I got it. And I am Iron Man. Okay, call in Robert. We got to do this again. So you know if if you're doing something as big as star wars yeah i would want three or four extra takes as well because if you get back into the editing suite and it just kind of falls flat now i got to go back out and recut or you know reshoot and then get back in the studio whereas now it's like nope it's okay i've got three extra punch lines for this let's try them out
0: okay okay well it'll be interesting to see over the next couple of months if what steven says comes to pass you know to the effect of You know, will we see a Beyond the Spider-Verse's release date pushed out past March 29, 2024? But at the same time, I don't want to be completely negative about what the folks at Sony Pictures Animation are up to. So uh, it's a pivot to a happier Spider-Man related topic. That live in concert version of Into the Spider Verse continues to chug around the country. We've got dates now for what is it, August 26th of this year. It's going to be presented at the River Center Performing Arts Center in Columbus, uh, Georgia. Then, August 27th, it moves to Jacksonville, Florida, where it will be presented at the Jacksonville Center of the Performing Arts. August 29th uh, will be staged at the Ruth Eckert Hall in Clearwater, Florida. And finally, on August 30th, this live concert will be presented in Orlando at the Walt Disney Theater. At the Dr. Phillips Center, which, if I'm remembering correctly, is located just behind Universal Studios' Islands of Adventure, which means if you're a really ambitious Marvel fan, you can first spend your day in that park exploring Marvel Superhero Island, and then that same evening, uh, head on over to Dr. Phillips and uh, watch Spider Man Into the Spider Verse live in concert. Now, I have two opportunities to see this thing. There's October 1st. When I'd have to drive down to Wallingford, Connecticut to see it at the Toyota Oakdale Theater. Uh, But I'm actually kind of leaning toward later in that same week on October 7th when Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse Live in concert will be presented at the Emerson Colonial Theater. In Boston, which is this beautiful old Broadway house where a lot of uh, classic musicals that were when they were trying out when they'd go out of town that that this is where they'd come. I want to say back in the day, like in the '40s, this is where Oklahoma debuted. So, by the way, folks, if you're interested in also checking out Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse live in concert, head on over to the official Spider-Verse in Concert website, uh, SpiderVerseInConcertOneWord.com. Speaking of music related stuff, Rogers the Musical opens at Disney California Adventure on the very same day, Aaron, that this show is supposed to be posted online. That's Friday, June 30th. This is described as a short one act musical. This live stage presentation will be staged inside of the Hyperion Theater, which is located in the Hollywood Land section of that theme park. 30-minute long show presented Tuesday through Saturday, most weeks this summer. Right now, the plan is that it will close on August 31st, though I've been told by folks at the parks that it might be extended if the, the public reaction to this new live stage show is what Disney hopes it will be. And, of course, Disney being Disney, they had to figure out a new revenue stream that could be attached to Rogers the Musical. So that's why Disney is now selling Rogers the Musical, the premium viewing experience.
1: Oh, I thought it was going to be a popcorn bucket.
0: Well, actually, there is a popcorn bucket involved Aaron. Oh, okay. If, All right. If you give Disneyland Resort $29 for every member of your party... You get to check into Stage 12, uh, that's that's located in DCA next to Monsters, Inc., Mike and Sully to the Rescue, where you'll find a reserved seat waiting for you in the pre-show lounge. And this is where you will be gifted your free Rogers the Musical red, white, and blue popcorn bucket, uh, along with a Coca-Cola beverage of your choice. There will also be some sort of Rogers the Musical photo op located inside of Stage 12. And when it's your scheduled showtime for Rogers the Musical approaches, uh, you'll then move from Stage 12 over to the Hyperion Theater, where you'll be among the first to get access to this theater and pick out a primo seat. On the other hand, if you don't opt to do the premium viewing experience, California Adventure uh, is going to set up a virtual queue for this live show. You're going to have to use the Disneyland app to get access to it. Uh, The virtual queue will open every day at 1030 a.m. Pacific time for the first two shows of the day. Uh, Those are scheduled for 1230 and 2 p.m. The virtual queue will then reopen again at 2 p.m., which will then allow guests to, to book seats or gain access. Excuse me to the final two performances of the day, which will be presented at 4 p.m. and 5.30. Not sure if I'm going to make it out to L.A. this summer to get to see Rogers the Musical in person. If any marvelous Disney listeners do, especially if if some of you folks make it to the opening weekend, uh, Aaron and I would love to hear your impressions of the show. I mean, mind you, I did get to at least see the Save the City number performed live on stage last year. It was presented in Hall D twenty three uh as part of the Disney Studios presentation at the D twenty three expo last August. I have to say it was loud and long and <laughs>
1: <laughs> What a beautiful way to describe a musical performance. Is it was loud and it was
0: long and I wanted to go home. <laughs> well, you know, just but if you remember Jeremy Renner in Hawkeye, when they show, he took his family to go see Rogers the Musical on Broadway, and Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman wrote basically a parody song number. Yeah. And that's the thing. It, it's a parody. It, it's, it's not supposed to be good. You know, I mean, it's it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be so bad, it, it reverts back into being good
1: out of its badness. But loud, and you know, anybody can be loud. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, long, well, you know the old saying that wit is the art of brevity. So if it's long, it's like, well, that's that's not good either.
0: But again, let, let's let see what they do in the Hyperion Theater. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this. Oh, oh, oh. one final note here before we head into our break. Anyone who listens to the show regularly knows that I collect the art of books for the for the MCU and uh, want to remind folks that the art of Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse book, as opposed to what's been going on with the MCU books, where they, they show up months, if not years later, this one's actually coming out on Monday, July 3rd. And I have to tell you, I'm, I'm going to be very interested to read what Phil Lord has to say about this animated feature uh, in this book, because uh, it's... I don't think they anticipated the artists and the animators getting as upfront about the the working conditions as they were. So it's it's, it's going to be interesting to see what Mr. Lord said, not knowing that this uh, this controversy was going to erupt after you know across the Spider Verse was out in theaters. But anyway, Aaron and I will be back in a sec to talk about Secret Invasion. But first, this. As Aaron and I usually do in in Marvelous Disney, we we spend a few moments to sort of talk about the DC-related news of the week, and we were just talking about Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, how it came out on top at the box office this past weekend after three weeks in theaters. The Flash, on the other hand, fading fast at the box office. It was third in North America. Uh sold 15 million dollars worth of tickets that put it behind spider-man across the spider-verse as well as pixar's elemental and aaron you were mentioning that we had a listener reach out via twitter and really sort of drill down into the numbers here and it's not good news, right?
1: no no they had uh, let's see here so this, just gonna quote the the stuff here so I get his words correct the flash finally crossed 200 million globally after grossing twenty six point six million on second weekend overseas over mm-hmm. is it 86 no 68 markets mm-hmm. uh, down sixty four and a half percent from opening weekend and then. Not to mention, apart from the expensive promo campaign, The Flash still has a $190 million uh, budget price tag. So the film may easily lose more than $200 million for Warner Brothers when all is said and done Oof. between the cost of the budget, the cost of the advertising campaign, and then the lackluster turnout. So now the question is, because we've got projects coming up like uh, Blue Beetle for DC, mm-hmm. which I don't... I've never heard about, never cared about, and probably you couldn't pay me to go into a theater and watch it. Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, I had fun with the first one, but I don't think I would buy a ticket to go into a theater to see that either. Mm-hmm. So the question is, with these remaining, I don't want to call them leftovers because that's demeaning to the product, but mm-hmm. James Gunn's got a reboot coming, right? So sure. we're going we're gonna to have a clean slate, so to speak. With the exception, apparently Aquaman is still going to be played by Jason Momoa in the future, I guess. But whatever the case may be, if we're going to have a clean slate and -hmm. you've got someone like David Zaslav, who Mm -hmm. is cutting budgets and cutting content. And this actually kind of goes to show why maybe shelving Batgirl wasn't the worst idea ever, Mm -hmm. because I don't know the name of the actress. She wasn't like a Margot Robbie type super huge name. And she may be a wonderful actress. I just, I'm not aware of her name. That's a, that's it. A, but she's the star. And and Batgirl is not as big of a character as Superman or Batman. So you've got a lower audience there. And if it had a, a pretty decent-sized budget you're, and you're going to have a decent-sized advertising campaign, that can look like a loss from far away, especially if The Flash is doing that exact same thing right now. So, you know, you take in the Zazlav factor of cut budgets, cut content, merging HBO and making it Max and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And and then you take things like The Flash, which everybody seems to really like the character, Mm -hmm. but they just didn't turn out for the movie. So what happens to the budgets in the future when James Gunn wants to relaunch? And he's like, I would like $500 million, please. And they're like, no, go to hell. You have uh, $100 million. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, I can't make it quite as flashy as I was hoping to. And very similarly, if we look at the uh, Disney side, Bob Iger asking Kevin Feige, slow down with the money, man. Uh, either less shows or, or lower budgets and things like that. So what's going to happen by the time we get to Secret Wars where it's like we didn't put anything on the screen? Shh, it's a secret. Uh, there's just no money left. What, what, what's happening?
0: If the folks at Marvel do their job, and remember, when we built up to Infinity War and then uh, Endgame, a lot of the reason we as an audience, we as, as fans of the MCU, turned out because we had put in the time, we had put in the sweat equity. We wanted to see all of these characters in one film, and you know, see what they would do together. So. That's the thing I think with the Kang Dynasty and and Secret War is that I think looking at those two projects, they will do the business. Now, will oh, yeah. they do Endgame business? Will they do Infinity War business? I don't know what to tell you. God forbid if they do like Ant-Man business. Like Ant-Man did well for an Ant-Man movie.
1: Yep. but it was not the culmination of everything like an end game was. So it's like, mm-hmm. you have to have the appropriate expectations. And I think you're right, you know, Kang and, and secret mm-hmm. wars will do gangbusters. Cause those are the big pinnacle tentpole mm-hmm. events, but, uh, Thor love and thunder. Did that crack the world open or did it just kind of, mm-hmm. you know, do okay. It did okay yeah. for a Thor movie, <laughs> you know? And that's the thing is, uh, If Iger is looking at things and he's like, "Oh, Mm -hmm. is this one of those? It did okay for an Ant Man movie." Well, then you get just the it'll do okay for a budget Mm -hmm. as a response. And uh, I think we're going to see some tightening of the reins now. What does that mean? That like you know we spoke a while ago about the imbalance between what Robert Downey Jr. got paid versus Mm -hmm. what any of the female actresses get paid. Mm -hmm. And uh, and we agree that there's an imbalance. But I also think you know maybe Robert shouldn't get. All that money, you know, if if that's where the balance is out of whack, maybe it's that he was getting too much. Obviously, the writers strike; they need more money. Maybe instead of Robert getting that money, that it goes to the writers. Maybe it goes to the caterers. Maybe it goes to the costume. Maybe it goes to the set design. But you know, if there's an imbalance, and so I think there's going to be a, a pretty big shakeup in where the financial, you know, what what they consider as a success is going to change. And uh, what people get paid is going to change and some stars will make less and other people will make more. And I I think I hope we get to a balance.
0: I hope so as well. But the math out in Hollywood and the whole notion of this, you know, we've educated an audience. The folks that did not go out to the theaters to see The Flash know that later this summer they can sit at home and fire up Max. Yep. And watch The Flash and see what they missed. And there were so many films just in my lifetime, whether it's things like The Rocketeer that died a dog's death mm-hmm. when it went out in theaters in 1990, the, but then got rediscovered and then became beloved. And, and this whole notion of, oh, The Flash is a failure. And it's like, you know, hang on, like, wait five to ten years and right. let's like, circle back to this. Yep. because that's the other thing with with movies is the you know the whole notion of yes, that's what it it earned the box office when it was initially released. But you can't count on something like, for example, a Christmas story, which only became the, the beloved phenomena that it is today because what five and six years after, it ran in theaters. I want to say it was TBS that somebody there decided we'll run this for 24 hours in a row. Let's see what happens. Right. In fact, I've been listening lately to Karina Longworth's uh, wonderful "You Must Remember This," and she's just recently done an episode on Showgirls, which back in in 1994 when it, it was first released to theaters was, you know, people would point to it at the that's a piece of crap. That's a you know an example of Hollywood excess and. And now, years later, you know, everybody's like, oh, that's camp, and that's fun, and look at the great production values and the amazing performances, and it's sort of like, so yeah, the whole notion of, oh my God, you know, Flash is a, a disaster, and, and it's just like, okay, uh, let's put a pen in this and come back in 10 years, mm. you know, and, yeah. and see what people have to say. Toward that end, though, because we're talking budget and that sort of thing, you had to see the stories this past week about Comic-Con, about, you know, I mean, Marvel's not going. In fact, there were so many of the big uh, studios and that sort of thing that are are, now pulled out of the event. What's your thought there? Is that budget? Is it the writer's strike? You know, why why are they pulling out?
1: If they're trimming budgets and they're looking on where can we save money, Mm -hmm. a lot of that goes into promotion because promotion is all of the sizzle, right? The steak is the movie, Mm -hmm. but the advertising is the sizzle. Mm-hmm. and uh, there's a lot of flash that goes into that, mm-hmm. and and flash equals money. Mm-hmm. So, it, yeah, it, you're probably on the nose with, it. it's just, they're just trying to trim budgets, or their project isn't far along enough or in a good enough state where they can show it off comfortably. Mm-hmm. They want some more time to let it bake in the oven before they let the public mm-hmm. see it. There's any number of reasons, but I think budget could be a big part of it.
0: I get that. And speaking of promotion, I don't know... If you've seen the trailer for My Adventures with Superman, the the new animated series from from World Wars Animation, oh my god, it looks great. And that debuts this coming Thursday, July 6th uh, at midnight over on Adult Swim and then turns up the very next day on Max. On Adult Swim, is this going to be like a Harley Quinn type show where it's naughty from time to time? It actually doesn't look that way. In fact, oh, that's, okay. I mean, seriously, I, I want to suggest go check out the trailer, folks, because it, it great, great animation. But it, it's kind of, and in fact, what's kind of ironic is that it is Clark Kent, Lois Lane, and Jimmy Olsen all arriving in Metropolis. In fact, I guess Lois is working at already at the Daily Planet, but but Clark and and Jimmy are just getting their foot in the door at, as interns. And isn't that really Kind of the same story that Superman Legacy, the James Gunn thing, is supposed to cover? The early, early days of Superman's career in Metropolis?
1: I guess, you know, from the casting, because it does look like a younger fella that's being rumored as as the uh, new soups. So,
0: yeah, I guess that would be accurate as well. Well, speaking of which, though, that it's not just a rumor, I guess, at this point. Deadline is reporting that uh, David Corseret has been cast as, as Clark Kent, Superman, and uh, Rachel Brosnahan is going to be playing Lois. And James Gunn confirmed this, So was, you know, again, he, did, oh. he did, he's a guy who loves his social media. So he's on Twitter saying these two are not just incredible actors, but they're also wonderful people. So he's very, very much looking forward to working with them on Superman Legacy.
1: I don't know either of their names, so I'm very excited so mm-hmm. I can fall into a movie and they mm-hmm. can, you know, that whomever that dude is in my mind, he's going to be Superman. You know, I don't I don't have any other notion of him from anything. So it, mm-hmm. it's, you know, like when I see Harrison Ford on the screen, mm-hmm. I know I know that's Harrison Ford mm-hmm. and and Harrison Ford gives a Harrison Ford kind of performance, which is great, mm-hmm. but it's Harrison Ford. And uh, yeah, so so with these guys, I have no preconceived notions of who they are what they're capable of so i'm actually going to be able to fall into that movie and let it be what it is without any taint
0: from my mind which will be good i like that given how much i've enjoyed the the guardians trilogy and likewise gun suicide squad movie it has a lot of flaky charm yeah very very much looking forward to see what he does with superman legacy or or for that matter What happens on the DC side of the street under his stewardship, and and as you mentioned at the top of the segment, once we get on the other side of Blue Beetle and Aquaman, the the Lost Kingdom, and the like? So,
1: I kind of have a feeling he's going to bring back the Boy Scout version of Superman. I don't know why. I just got that feeling.
0: That would be cool. Like that. That was kind of the fun of the, the Christopher Reeve one back in '78. So, yeah. yeah. All right. We said we would talk about Secret Wars on this part of the show. And again, as we mentioned, episode two of this six part limited series dropped today. Did want to circle back to Kobe Smoulders. Uh, can we now talk about this? Because people. At this point, I've seen the first episode, so they know what happened to Maria Hill, right? Well,
1: I was just going to say they showed a coffin and I was pissed, but I guess now that you've said that, yeah. Okay, now here's here's the conundrum. What? Isn't she supposed to show up in the Marvels film? (sighs) I think there's something that's filming at present (laughs) that she showed up on set for. Mm-hmm. Which made me wonder one of two things. Either mm-hmm. uh, she gets uh, the Tahiti treatment that mm-hmm. Coulson got and comes back, mm-hmm. or maybe the Marvels is not in the current time. Uh, I mean, it's off in the timeline a bit where it, it comes out later, but it actually would take place before these events.
0: See, I, I, I do not know what to tell you because uh, Smolder got interviewed by the Hollywood Reporter after episode one dropped. And she talked about how when they brought her in to work on, uh, you know, the, the effect of, hey, you know, we're thinking of doing Secret Invasion. And oh, by the way, what she said, look, I was told right away, uh, Lou Esposito, the co-president of Marvel Studios, uh, gave me a call to chat about joining up on Secret Invasion. And so, I, look, it's, I've known about this for years. What startled her, though, is that this scene was shot in the middle of the pandemic at Peace Hall in Halifax, West Yorkshire, with dozens upon dozens of background artists and people involved in the production, and this news never broke. Marvel PR
1: team on the job. (laughs) (laughs)
0: We'll get her the seat goes... I was surprised that, that an image in not leak. And it, she said, I, I guess that's the respect that Marvel has earned over the last decade, which is like the whole thing of don't spoil it for people. And, and thankfully, nobody did. But the interesting thing is Samuel L. Jackson was just recently interviewed about the, the production of Secret Invasion. And he brought up that while they were shooting, they had a drone fly over the set which and again i had to share this story because of your constant refrain about the the marvel pr team with their laser-sided guns because they actually did shoot this drone out of the sky
1: oh man you know the the guy on the on the horn for that one has been waiting for that call tony get your sniper gun it's time (laughs) oh really you're not kidding are you charlie no it's it's time we got a drone oh yeah
0: (laughs) all right but but wait it gets better a second drone appeared over the set. Oh. And so, so, so like at this point, it's like, okay, we're following this back. And that's what they did. They followed it back to its launch site and met with the, the gentleman who was working the controls and explained in no uncertain terms that he was not allowed to use that footage and don't do this again. And
1: However, we do have a new sport called modern-day skeet shooting where we use <laughs>
0: drones instead of clay pigeons. <laughs> yeah, that could well be. But, all right, uh, to circle, uh, and by the way, we did not touch a, on this topic, a uh, secret invasion related topic, on our uh, last week's show, but since that time, there's been a lot of talk about how the the opening credits, the stylized animation at the opening of this, this show, was done using AI, which upset a lot of artists associated uh, with Marvel. Likewise, given, you know, this is one of the key issues of the writer's strike out there, generated a lot of negative press there. What's interesting is Marvel Studios' pushback was we deliberately chose this because of the theme of the show? Hogwash. <sighs> well, okay,
1: so when when I saw the uh, opening credits, I went, ooh, that's ugly. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I didn't know why, mm-hmm. but... In all of the previous Marvel shows, the art has been impeccably beautiful, Mm -hmm. incredibly stylized. And uh, this was just ugly. And I couldn't figure Mm. out why. And then when they said it was generated by AI, I was like, oh, that makes sense why why it looks ugly. But then after that, it, it was... So did you just not want to pay artists or whatever? And I mean, they got a special effects, you know, house to generate this. Right. Mm-hmm, so there's mm-hmm. somebody at the computer inputting data. Here's a picture of Sam. Here's a picture of a scroll. morph the two. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, there's someone kind of, you know, doing work, quote unquote, to make it happen. Mm-hmm. So it's not like AI is really taking a job. But still, AI is not the theme of the show. Uh, scrolls looking like humans is the theme of the show. So yeah, I, I don't quite buy. You know, honestly, I think they're just testing the waters of can we get away with it? How much flack are we going to get? Well, if we you know did an entire animated show with AI, then we would get booed uh, you know off the hill. So what if we just did opening credits and see if we get any flack? And if we don't get any, well, we could do a little bit more and kind of not talk about it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think that's dangerous ground, man.
0: Okay. Okay. I mean, I get what you're saying. I don't know if I would necessarily have described it as ugly. I mean, uh, that's the thing. I, I have to admit, I have... A fascination. If you go over to YouTube now, there seems to be this series of Wes Anderson directs Jurassic Park yeah, or Wes yeah. Anderson directs Lord of the Rings, and uh, yeah, they are all you know sort of weird exercises in um, you know it's like okay that what can you know, I do?
1: What can I like you know they're looking for a new peanut butter and chocolate to mash together. Wes Anderson mm-hmm. plus this, Wes Anderson plus that. I did see Asteroid City by the way over the weekend. Oh, and? You know, it was the exact same feeling I had for Spider-Man Across the Mm -hmm. uh, Spider-Verse. It was beautiful artistry at its peak. And mm-hmm. the story just brought me down because there was this existential dread in all the characters. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there are bright, funny moments that, you know, I laughed so hard with when the alien showed up. Oh, my God. It was mm-hmm. so funny. But it was just the whole movie was depressing in, in a mm-hmm. weird sort of way. So, yeah. And I just wasn't in the mood for being brought down. So I left out like, oh, man. But it was it was peak Wes Anderson. And mm-hmm. uh, it's. You know, probably one of his most Wes Anderson, Wes Anderson films. And, and that's great. <laughs> okay, uh, but okay. and I'm sure when I'm in the mood, mm-hmm. uh, the, the proper mood to match that film, I'll be able to watch it again and enjoy it in that moment. But it just wasn't what I was looking for at that time. But uh, speaking of, of the AI stuff, mm-hmm. real quick, I did see, according to uh, the New York Post, that Samuel mm-hmm. L. Jackson has denied mm-hmm. the use of his digital image after he passes that he does not want anyone to be able to use his likeness. And then he said, uh, Oh, you guys are just worrying about that. Now I was asked about this a long time ago. The first time I got scanned was for George Lucas for the star Wars prequels. And I said, what's this for? Mm -hmm. And uh, George and he said that we were friends. So we kind of had a laugh about it because I thought I was doing it because he had all these old guys in episode Mm -hmm. one. So if something Mm -hmm. happened to him, he still wanted to put him in the movie. And uh, so Yeah, all the way back for episode one, Samuel L. Jackson's been getting scanned. He says, every single Marvel thing that comes Mm -hmm. along, I get scanned because there's a new costume, there's a new digital asset, there's a new toy, whatever. Mm -hmm. And so every single time he gets scanned Mm -hmm. and uh, he then goes on to say, uh, ever since he did Captain Marvel, they did the Lola project where they Mm de-age him. Mm -hmm. And uh, he goes, well, I guess they can do this anytime I want. And so, for future actors, you should do what I always do when I get a contract, and it has mm-hmm. the words "in perpetuity" and mm-hmm. "known and unknown" in it. Mm-hmm. I cross that shit out.
0: It's my way of saying no. I do not approve of this. Disney started using those contracts, <laughs> and this goes all the way back to. Uh, do you remember the the Peggy Lee suing? Disney back in the day for you know the the money that was being made for selling Lady and the Tramp. I mean, she actually wrote the songs for Lady and the Tramp and was heavily featured in the actual promotion of the film back in '55 or thereabouts. Mm-hmm. And but but the thing of it is, is that she got her one check for making the movie, right. you know, because the the movie was the product. But now here it was being released to theaters and. Peggy Lee was an older woman with limited means. And was like, hey, I should be getting a cut of that. And Disney was like, oh, God, no. But they went to court. And it was one of these things where, in hindsight... Disney suing a a little old lady who is now in a wheelchair did not work when it came to the sympathies of the jury, which awarded uh, Ms. Lee a sizable check. And at that point, that's when Disney started putting that language into the effect of known and unknown technologies and into perpetuity. It's like, hey, pal, you got your check. Go away. Right. Pivoting back to episode two of Secret Invasion, of course, great to see Rhodey. And I love the little... You know, sort of throw away. Well, why don't? We, why aren't the Avengers involved here? Why aren't they dealing with the scrolls? It's oh no 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 no. We don't want that. Right. Then people would copy them, and then they'd be accused of being terrorists. And it was like, it was like, wow, you handled that quite well. You know, and in fact, to, to circle back to your 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 Bob Iger, how do we keep the budget down? Oh no no, you can't use the Avengers. They would be right. They'd be terrorists. So.
1: Well, you know, this uh, show in particular, it, it's like just chiming in my ear, Bob Iger, saying, you know, cut some budget, cut some budget. Because first episode they had the the landing, the arrival of Samuel L. Jackson. It looks like it should be on a spaceship, but it's just bright light. You don't see any, any special effects or spaceship or anything. He's just in a field all of a sudden. And uh, last couple of episodes, I mean, yeah, you get the transformation of from Skrull to human, but mostly you've got just a lot of on-the-ground humans driving cars, talking. You know, I'll tell you the scene in the bar. Mm-hmm. With uh, Rhodey and Fury where, you know, Rhodey just dresses down <laughs> Fury and, and he's like, you know, you're fired. That mm-hmm. that whole scene I loved mm-hmm. because Sam Jackson's character has been untouchable throughout this entire time. You know, he's always been the the peak of the pyramid, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And for Rhodey, of all people, to be in the position to be like, no, nah, dude, you're out. And, and the way that he talked to him and the things that he said to him, I was like, damn, I was really surprised to see this in a Marvel project. It was uh, really compelling, their conversation. And uh, it was interesting to see where it puts Fury at the end of that conversation. It's like, oh, I didn't expect the toppling and the turns of this, per se. Uh, mm-hmm. Because now he's like, if you're, if you're not the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. or you're not the head of S.W.O.R.D. or whatever it mm-hmm. is, Mm-hmm. what do you got what what's your resources? what are you gonna do you know mm-hmm. so yeah it's it's interesting how this has progressed and and uh but again the budget seems
0: fairly straightforward so far well you know you you wonder we we've got four more episodes of this to come, and it might just be a a case of you know we're holding in reserve for the big set piece oh sure, yeah, yeah. But that said, I mean, the stuff that I think had the biggest impact, like you said, the dressing down by Rhodey. But did you, going into this, think we would get to meet Mrs. Nick Fury? You know,
1: I never expected there to be a Mrs. Fury because, you know, the, the Fury lifestyle doesn't allow for a dame. Kind Mm -hmm. of thing like he's always you know on the job it seemed like that was the the character for so long that Mm -hmm. the one focus you know Mm -hmm. protecting the earth Mm -hmm. and uh, no I was absolutely surprised now the question is Mm -hmm. I want to find out what kind of woman is married to a guy like Nick Fury which (laughs) who can tolerate that man. And, it, and in the way that, you know, he walks in, she's like, ain't you forgetting something? And he's got to put on the ring. And, you know, it's like, the I don't want to say the leash per se, but, you know, he's like, I, I, I am trained to obey mm-hmm. the wife. And uh, so, yeah, I really would love to see more of the dynamic between that couple. I'm actually more interested in that than I am the Secret Wars right now, honestly.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well... All right, so that kind of brings us up to speed as to uh, episode two. And, and as I just mentioned, we got four more episodes with Secret Invasion and gonna be interesting to see how this story plays out. Because right now, you know, as you mentioned, this is how, who is Nick Fury if he doesn't have all of S.H.I.E.L.D. at his back and, the you know, the, the sort of resources he used to be t- able to tap into. And it's like,
1: well, maybe that's why he went home to his wife, and now we'll have a spinoff show called The Furies. Oh, boy, be like wow, Mr. Wow. and Mrs. Smith. <laughs>
0: okay. <laughs> Let's not get into the Brad Pitt, Angelina okay, Jolie right, right. thing. No, I just read an amazing story over on Vanity Fair about why they separated, and holy cow, you don't, you don't want to go there. Another show. All right. Another show. Speaking of another show, we did not, on this week's episode of Marvelous Disney, discuss the Stan Lee documentary that's also on Disney+. Plus. But I, I promise, folks, next week's episode, uh, Aaron and I will talk about that in depth, which, again, well worth viewing, don't you think, Aaron? Or- oh,
1: yeah. It, it, it was uh, very, very good. And it was really nice to hear... Almost the entirety of everything told in Stan's own voice.
0: There we go. Yeah. There we go. I, I think that, that was the brilliant choice that. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, a, you know, it's literally his story in his voice. and Even the bad parts, the, the things that we talk about
1: with Kirby and all that, and the yeah. phone call they had at the over the air at the radio station. Oh, my God, I can't wait to talk about that. But on the next yeah. show, we'll, we'll get into
0: on it. On the next show. All right, but speaking of, of next show, that what are you doing uh, next on 32nd Street, your, your great show, your podcast about Madison Avenue? Well, this
1: is the one that Disney Dish listeners may actually want to tune in for because I have on the show Mr. Kurt Common and Kurt lives in Tokyo, Japan and he's a, a radio celebrity does a morning show over there but you may recognize his voice because he's the guy who tells you uh, in English which line you need to get into at Tokyo Disneyland yeah he's been the, the, the English speaking voice of Tokyo Disneyland since uh, the early 90s Oh. I guess. So, uh okay. Yeah, yeah. So uh, may- maybe we'll do a-, a crossover show, and we'll have them on Disney Dish someday and talk about that kind of stuff, because we barely
0: got to cover it. Wow. Okay. Now, that's an excellent suggestion, and, and seriously, folks, go check out that episode of 32nd Street, and let me have a conversation with Mr. Testa. Maybe we can make that happen. Okay. Oh, speaking of Mr. Tessa, I want to remind you folks that we do have some other podcasts here at the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. Uh, we'd like you to check out. Uh, we, of course, have Disney Dish, which I do with Len. We also have uh, Fine Tuning, which I do with Drew Taylor, which, by the way, we're finally able to talk about how his Light like the Fuse show, yeah, the great podcast about the Mission Impossible thing. Mm-hmm that is now light diffuse the, the official mission impossible podcast and, and drew, drew is now working with paramount oh my god we're working with grown-ups here folks Ugh. again I've known this is in the uh, the works for months now and it, it doing my best to, to keep this secret. So it's, it's so delightful to finally talk about it. And it's such a thrill that this happened for Drew and Charles. And it's going to be fascinating to see. I mean, they already get amazing stories, but it'll be fascinating to see who they get to talk to now with Paramount, you know, kicking open the door for them. Right. Oh, and uh, speaking of uh, a podcast, uh, we just, just recorded our brand new episode of Looking at Lucasfilm last night, Uh, myself and Brian gone. And we actually touch on when Tom Selleck was... Was, was almost going to be Indiana Jones. So uh, tune in for that one. Uh, let's see. Beyond that, Aaron, social media, where can the nice folks find you?
1: Well, uh, I can't use Twitter right now. I'm actually using smoke signals from the fires of Canada Ooh. because uh, Indianapolis has just completely been covered the last two days with smoke. Mm-hmm. Canadian smoke goes, oh, yeah, Smoke, uh, <laughs> boot. <Lissetaboot. laughs> but uh, it, yeah, when I, when I can uh, get clear the uh, office of all the smoke and the haze, I'll go back on Twitter, and then you'll be able to find me at AzaProd, A Z A P R O D. Until then, I'm just using a wet blanket and blowing smoke back up in the air, going
0: help, help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when when Nancy and I were driving uh, out to Kansas City, the route took us down through Jersey and Pennsylvania, and at that point, that's where the smoke was mostly congregating and it was it was bizarre it was like hickory flavored Mm. Uh, fog yeah, I mean, it was yeah. A, you know, you, you'd be out driving and you could see you know things disappearing uh, like a half mile down the road and mm-hmm. it was just i mean we had to literally drive down into it from new hampshire and then when we finally drove out across pennsylvania it finally lifted and cleared but holy cow my
1: wife really and i are currently uh, affectionately referring to our neighborhood as silent hill
0: <laughs> oh, okay stay indoors okay yeah, do not, yeah, do, totally. especially do not go out after dark anyway yep, yep. speaking of social media you can find me on twitter and instagram is jim hill media and over on facebook is jim hill media news finally if you could do mr adams and i a favor if you get head over to apple podcasts and rate the and recommend well, not only show you listening to right now, Marvelous Disney, but also Thirty Second Street. That would be very helpful. And if you really, really, really like what you heard here, if you want to head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be cool too. That's going to do it for this week. But please come back next week, folks, when Er and I will do a deep dive on that fascinating Stan Lee documentary. But for now, thanks for listening.